What's up, coaches? Welcome to Keep Your Pads Down, your home for all things defensive line play. Hope this episode finds you and your family well as we are all trying our best to make the most out of this quarantine situation. You know, and as I mentioned last week, our prayers definitely go out to those both in this country and around the world uh, who are affected by the coronavirus. You know, I hope, I want to start out today, I hope this doesn't come off as, you know, sounding insensitive or callous, but, you know, I think that, that if you manage it correctly, we can look back on this time, you know, that we have where we're, where we're you know, everything's shut down and we're, we're all forced to spend more time at home. I think we can all look back on this uh, one day with, with a sense of uh, fondness, maybe. I mean, I know, you know, I know for me personally, I spent more time with my family this past week than I ever get to. And look, when you have three kids under the age of six, uh, things can go crazy and fly off the rails in a hurry at our house. Uh, but but this quarantine has forced me and really all of us uh, to hit the reset button and, and, and focus on, you know, the four walls of our home and more importantly, what's inside those walls. So, you know, not trying to preach, but as with everything in life, I think this, this unique time in our history uh, is going to be what we make of it. I, again, I kind of compare it back to uh, when I when I first got into coaching. My wife and I were, were brand new, uh, married, and we were living in Oxford, Mississippi. It was where uh, she was going to school at Ole Miss, and I was coaching at a high school there. And we lived in a, this tiny apartment. I mean, Super small. Uh, it was a converted dorm room, uh, center block walls, and we had absolutely no money. And there were some tough days in there for sure. Uh, I was volunteer coaching and substitute teaching. And, you know, looking back on those times, I can't say that I, I would want to go back to those. But also for both my wife and me, when we look back uh, on those times, it's it's definitely with uh, some fondness and, and good memories there. So I'm thinking that that if, if we if we frame this thing right, that we can um, that that's how we can look back on this this moment uh, in all of our lives. And I know uh, again, not to minimize the struggles that are going on. I know that there are some health scares, and I know there's some very real financial scares for a lot of us. Uh, so I'm not minimizing that at all, but uh, I guess uh, really trying to encourage more than anything just to uh, to make the most of this time. You know, I got to tell you, to, what's been really impressive is seeing all of you coaches just flat out get after it, you know, with the with these Zoom clinics and, and, and online chats and virtual coaching clinics and, you know, reaching out to other coaches and, you know, we're all, we're all talking and, and, and sharing ideas and, you know, football coach Twitter right now feels Kind of like um, you know that scene uh, at the uh, from from Night at the Roxbury where uh, Steve and Doug are going into that new club for the first time and 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 uh, Steve Butab is like what's up what's up what's up what's up and he can't control himself and, and that's kind of how I feel when I when I log on to my, my Twitter right now is there's so many things going on it's kind of crazy and uh, you know got to remember like 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 uh, in the movie you got to pace myself got to pace myself so anyway good job to all you guys who are uh, getting after it and uh, you know providing a ton of opportunities for coaches to uh, to learn and to grow and again to make the most of all the time that we all suddenly have on our hands now so and, and you know speaking of that there are a ton of chats out there that take place on Twitter if you're on Twitter you can you know you can get on it and, and of course there's hog football chat uh, on Monday nights with coach Schiffman who was on a couple weeks ago uh, there's the No Fly Zone chat uh, with Coach Adam Harvey on Tuesday nights, another former guest of this show. And then there's the the Texas High School football chat with Coach Fisher, uh, is another another long standing chat on Twitter. That's a really great one to to check out. But finally, 
there is a chat for us D-line guys. And that was actually started last Tuesday by Coach Peter Noonan, and that is going to be on Tuesday nights at 7.30. So if you're a D-line coach or you want to hang out with some, uh, check that out on Tuesday nights. You can find that chat using the hashtag disruption chat. But that was a great time last week. So uh, big shout out to Coach Noonan for getting that going and, and for all the guys who participated in that. Uh, definitely looking forward to the chat this week. Okay, before we get to today's guest, I need to tell you about our sponsor for today's episode. Today's episode is sponsored by the Coach Pad. Coaches, have you ever gone through the monotonous task of preparing scout cards, stuffing binders before practice, flipping through clear vinyl sheets that always seem to stick together, and then unstuffing those same binders after practice? Well, you know what? All of that has gone the way of the double-button bike coaching shorts and become a thing of the past thanks to the Coach Pad. The Coach Pad is a device to help coaches be more efficient preparing for and while at practice when managing scout cards. No more stuffing binders with paper to take out to practice. The Coach Pad allows coaches to do several coaching tasks, but there are two main functions addressing scout cards. You can load PDFs from any drawing program that you are currently using, such as Huddle, Practice Scripts, Just Play, Visio, etc., to the Coach Pad to display out at practice in the sun and not worry about reflections. The other function is for you old school coaches who like to hand draw cards for practice. Using the football software that the guys at the Coach Pad developed, a coach can hand draw digitized cards and take them directly out to practices without stuffing a binder. The Coach Pad is looking to change how coaches get ready for practice and go out to run their scout teams. You can purchase the Coach Pad online at thecoachpad.com and use the clinic season promo code AFCA to get one for just $820. CoachPad YouTube channel shows several of the features you and your staff need to have the best scout card experience possible. Want to learn more? Visit their website at thecoachpad.com or check them out on Twitter at thecoachpad. Get rid of those clunky binders and step into the modern era of coaching football with the CoachPad. All right, so let, let me tell you about our guest today. I, I'm excited to welcome my brothers Grant and Garrett Taylor onto the podcast today. You know, this is an episode that I've been wanting to do uh, for a while and, and thought that we might do it later on in the summer when, when, when you know, I was on summer vacation and, and, and time, the schedule slows down a little bit. But, you know, then all of a sudden this happened and, 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 and suddenly all three of us found ourselves with a lot more time on our hands than we expected. So we got it done this week and, and um, you know, really, really excited about it. But, you know, neither one of my brothers are football coaches. So, I mean, why bring them on, right? They're they're really not that interesting. Well, all three of us grew up playing football from from Pee Wee on up through college, and and now both Grant and Garrett uh, have have jobs and families, and and they aren't necessarily inundated with the game of football on a daily basis like like we as coaches are. However, they both hold leadership positions in their respective lines of work, and, and we're both profoundly impacted by the game of football and both the lessons that taught them and the coaches who molded and shaped them. And, and that's what we're going to be talking about uh, in this episode, which is actually going to be broken up into two parts with the, uh, the second half of our conversation dropping on Thursday of this week. But in today's episode, we talk about both Grant and Garrett's playing days at, at Huntsville High School and Harding University, and also the coaches who impacted them as young men and whose lessons still bear a strong influence on them now uh, as adults. Now, Grant is my older brother. He's four and a half years older than me. And, and you're growing up, I wanted to be just like him. And, and, and so much so, I used to do things like, like steal his clothes out of his closet and, and wear them, even though he's, he was twice my size. And, you know, we did, we did fight a lot. Well, 
by fighting, I mean I would do things to get under his skin, and he would promptly uh, pound me into a pulp. But anyway, hey, we've come a long way since then. Put that all that behind us. I don't wear his clothes anymore. I have my own clothes, but but you know, do, still do like to uh, to get under his skin every now and then when I get a chance. But anyway, Grant uh, lives in West Monroe, Louisiana, with his wife and three soon to be four kids. Uh, he is the general manager for Buck Commander, which is uh, a sister company of Duck Commander. And if you have the Outdoor Channel and ever watch any of the Buck Commander episodes or watch their YouTube channel, then you might have seen him on, on some episodes. Anyway, he led her three years at Center for our high school there in Huntsville, Texas, before graduating and getting a scholarship to play at Harding University, where he led her three seasons for the Bisons at Center and, and Deep Snapper and was a team captain his senior year in 2004. Now, Garrett is my younger brother. He's, he's two and a half years younger than me, so we, we piled around a little bit more as kids than Grant and I did. But, you know, it's typical with little brothers. Garrett did catch the brunt of the jokes and the, uh, you know, the good-natured ribbing growing up. And I'd like to think that he's better because of it. But, you know, then, as, as we'll reference today in our conversations, it didn't take him long to, to catch up with me in size. So I, I cooled off on all that stuff uh, once that happened for sure. But anyway, Garrett lives with his wife in Plano, Texas, and he is a sales director for a company called Gartner, which is a technology research and advisory firm. And he absolutely kills it for those guys. And uh, Garrett led her two years at Tackle uh, for Huntsville High School before receiving a scholarship to play at Harding as well. At Harding, Garrett led her four years and started three for the Bisons at Guard. His senior year, he was also elected captain and named to the Great American Conference first team and all Super Region second team. All right, now look, I know I'm biased here, but but my brothers were not only great football players, but they're even better guys, and, and I'm blessed to consider both of them two of my my closest friends. And you know, whenever I need advice on something, they, along with my dad, are the first guys that, that I'm going to call. And I think after you hear what they have to say today, you'll you'll understand why. Anyway, you know, the point of today's episode, it isn't just to reminisce and talk about the the glory days or or crack on each other a little bit, but it's to help underscore the importance of a coach in a young man's life and the invaluable tool that football is when molding young men. So for you coaches listening to this today, hopefully our conversation uh, provides you with insight and how you can be that coach that guys like Grant and Garrett credit with being one of their biggest influences and hopefully this conversation reaffirms that what we are doing as coaches matters matters now perhaps more than more than ever. Also, if you have brothers, hopefully you can relate to our relationship a little bit and share in a few laughs along the way. With all that being said, let's dive into today's episode, episode number 52 of KYPD. Guys, welcome to the uh, welcome to the podcast. This make yourself at home, I guess. Now, I got to tell you, I talked you guys up pretty good there in the intro, so now it's on you to deliver. So try not to uh, try not to screw this thing up too bad, okay? Sounds good. You got it, pal. You got it, pal. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Honestly, this isn't something we get to do very often. Uh, you know, just sitting down and 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 talking. Without any disruptions, you know, kids running through the room, someone's got to change a diaper, you know, one of our wives giving us the eye, you know, from across the room, something like that, you know, and I think even some of these things we're going to talk about today are things that I'm not sure 
all three of us have ever discussed together. So anyway, looking forward to hearing from you guys. And I know everyone listening today will enjoy what you guys have to say. Hey, man, thanks. I, I know it took 50 episodes to get us on, but we appreciate it. So whatever. Thank you for having us. Yeah, I'm just in, and I'm impressed you got Grant on the phone. Well, yeah, that is true. That is true. Grant can be hard to track down sometimes, but hey, you know, I mean, you can just count your blessings when, when you can. And, and, and who, I, you want to say it took 50 episodes. It really, I guess we could blame it on the coronavirus. I guess it what brought us all three together here, uh, finding some time that we can sit down and talk. But anyway, well, let's, uh, let's kick off with, um, introductions. Garrett, I guess, you know, you're the youngest brother and, and you never really got to go first at anything growing up. So I guess we'll, we'll, it's only right to let you start this thing off. Go ahead and, uh, you know, tell us your age, where you live, what you do, and, and just a little bit about your family, things like that. Yeah, I'll take every, uh, every opportunity I can to go first. I've been playing catch up all my life, it feels like. But um, yeah, I, my name's Garrett. I'm the youngest of four. Um, the protege of you two, as you both have reminded me throughout my life. Um, but I, I live in Plano, Texas, uh, here with my wife, no kids. Uh, I am in sales for a, a technology consulting company. Um, so a little different uh, than than most of the folks who are uh, listening on this podcast, but uh, certainly appreciate the opportunity to to come on and just talk some Talk some football, talk a little life, talk about some of the uh, lessons learned and, and applications to uh, today. Um, and then I'm, I'm sure we'll get into the football background, so I'll spare that for the moment. But, um, it's, yeah, that's who I am. All right, Grant, go ahead. Well, guys, uh, you're welcome just for all the tough lessons that I taught both of you along the way. Um, there was a day in time when I could take both of you guys, uh, one in each hand, and pin you down. Uh but, you know, there came a day when I realized I couldn't do that anymore, and that's when I, I realized my brothers were peers and friends. And so I'm glad we get to do this. Uh, I'm Grant, the oldest brother, and, uh, you know, I'm on the backside of my 30s uh, to rob a line from a country song. But anyway, I live in West Monroe with my wife and three kids. By June, it'll be four, uh, praying for a healthy baby boy that deliver to live. Uh, man, I've been... I am in year 10 working at Buck Commander, which is uh, an affiliate company with Duck Commander uh, in West Monroe and love it and thankful to do it. You know, I count each day a blessing that I get to work here. Uh, I wake up each morning and just look around and make sure I'm still doing it and glad to do so. Don't take it for granted. Not sure how long it'll last, but but uh, take each day as it comes. So I, I'm excited, man. I love talking football and you know, the older I get, my perspective changes and I miss being around it. You know, for so much of your life, it is, it's, it's what you're focused on. And then all of a sudden one day it's not. And so any chance I get to, to circle back and dig deep is a lot of fun. And I've enjoyed watching Utah. I mean, from, from a distance, uh, from, from the catbird seat, it's really been fun. And I appreciate you letting me come along for the ride and have some proximity to you and, and, and see it from your perspective. It's been a blast. So thanks for having me on. Yeah. Yeah. And no doubt, you know, football has been a big part of all three of our lives. And, and I think it's, you know, we're going to see as we, as we sort of flesh this conversation out today, that a lot of the uh, impacts that it had on it, had on each of us are the same, you know, it, it impacted us uh, in a lot of ways in the same, but then also very different ways as well. And, and, and obviously with both of you guys being out of, you know, a daily interaction with football or whatever, I guess. And, and, um, but, but the fact that we're all still able to, uh, to kind of experience that with, you know, you guys 
do a great job of, of coming to, to my games and, and, and staying involved with, with what, you know, who, wherever I'm coaching, what, what we got going on. So that's all, that's been a fun part of it uh, also. So Grant, let's, uh, let's just start with you and just kind of walk us through your journey as a football player. When, when did you start playing and, you know, all that kind of stuff and just, just talk about that. Oh man, you know, some of my earliest memories are being like five or six years old and just uh, going to Bauer Stadium to Hornet games. And, and I guess my dream was always to play on that field on Friday nights. And I, and I know that's a lot of kids' dreams throughout America. They, they want to play on Friday nights. And so that's where it started for me. I played a number of years of flag football, and but I, I just remember being so excited to get a helmet. I just wanted a helmet because I wanted to look like the football player uh, did that in fifth grade, played a couple years of Pee Wee, um, you know, junior high, and then, and then all the way through high school. But, but you know, I, I kind of found my way. I mean, I, I think everybody wants to be a skill player, right, because they want to score that touchdown. They want to do that sort of stuff. And, and in seventh grade is really kind of where I got sifted into what I would be for my career. And, and I started out, you know, they kind of let everybody go, hey, what, what position do you want to play? And, of course, I migrated over to the quarterbacks. Um, just because that's what I thought I wanted to play. Uh, And they quickly said, okay, well, uh, let's set you over here to the side a little bit. Maybe you can be a – what else? Do you have any other ideas? And and I I can vividly remember this in seventh grade. And they said – I said, all right, I'll be a running back. And the coach puts his his, uh, hand on my helmet and goes, does anybody know this guy? Is he fast? And I'm like, oh, boy. We all know (laughs) I'm not fast. And – you know, everybody knows I'm not fast. And he said, I'll tell you what, uh, won't you move over here? Just stand at guard for me for a minute. And so I did, and I got kind of frustrated because guard was not, you know, touching the ball, was not in the middle of the play. And, and I, I was like, man, this is, I mean, I'm, I'm a, I'm an action guy. Like I need to be in the middle of it. Well, they were working, you know, seventh grade is a lot of guys first time to really play. And they were working on the center quarterback exchange and, and the guy who they had doing it was kind of struggling. And I said, give me that ball. Let me try. And so I started snapping to the quarterback and, and man, I found a position at center and I, I literally played that position of center every single year from that point forward, all the way through college. And so, you know, that's kind of how, and, and I didn't look, man, I don't know that you'll find many offensive linemen who set out to play the offensive line. So when you get to offensive linemen, those are guys that just love to play the game. And quite frankly, uh, you know, once it gets past offensive line, they don't have many more options athletically. So you either do that or you just go do something else. And and I love the competition. I love the competing. I love the challenge. I love being on the team. I love putting on the helmet. I love the locker. I, you know, I loved all that stuff. So it was just kind of – it became one of those things that, that I just, you know, learned to love it. And, yeah, and I wouldn't trade it. So, well, yeah. Let's and, and before we talk about you know later years, high school and college, uh, I want to get uh, Garrett's perspective as well. And and one of the things you guys need to know is you know all three of us played football, and all three of us started playing at a at a pretty early age. But you know it's interesting because our dad never never played football uh, in any in any organized fashion. Uh, but I just never remember not wanting to play. And, and I think it's probably the same for you guys. Um, I remember getting a flyer in fourth grade, you know, they would, they, they'd, they'd pass those things around and, and it was for the, the Huntsville youth football league and, and just, you know, couldn't wait to get it home and show mom and dad. And that's when I ended up playing. But, you know, I, we all, we all, it's, it's interesting that we all gravitated 
towards that and towards that sport. And I think that was probably all of our, you know, maybe our first love. Grant, you might have had another one with baseball or, or whatever. But anyway, uh, Garrett, you know, now your, your perspective is probably different. You know, you were the third of, of three boys who, who played football. And for you, was it just kind of like, well, I'm going to do this because it's sort of expected of me? Or did you did you really, really want to play also? Yeah, I think it was um, – I mean, honestly, I think it was – like most things in life where I just, you know, being the fourth, I mean, I was, uh, I was drug along to every practice and every game just because, you know, there's four of us and, and, uh, we didn't have a babysitter. And so the, the games became that. And I think that it was just something I looked up to you guys, um, and almost just saw it as an expectation. Yeah. Um, and un- unlike Grant, I knew pretty clearly that my path was destined to, <laughs> For uh, the offensive line, uh, I mean, you could see that from the size of my head when I was a kid. Um, but I mean, it, for me, it was yeah. I had that one moment in in uh, flag football where I had my my skinny shorts on that didn't barely touch my knee, and um, every now and then they'd let me play quarterback because I'm the only one that could throw it more than 15 yards. Um, but outside of that, you know, bright spot, I was. Uh, yeah, relegated to the to the offensive line, but I, I looked at it as more of an obligation, and, and I, I really enjoyed it. I, I don't want to take away from that, but I looked at it almost as like a, a rite of passage and something that that we did, you know. And I didn't have to go through. Yeah, Grant and my uh, experiences and perspective were probably uh, completely different just because of our, our rank and file in the family. But yeah, I loved everything about football, but, but certainly there was the aspect of this is what we do. This is what Taylor boys do. And, and that's just kind of the life that we live. Yeah. Yeah. So Grant, uh, going back to you, you know, you get into to high school and, you know, you were always kind of one of the bigger guys and, and, and experienced some success early on uh, as far as just, you know, being recognized as a, as a kid who could play. So just talk about, about, about those, those years and, and what sticks out there. Yeah, and, and, you know, to your point, Ty, I mean, I think I envisioned myself as an athlete more than I really was. I mean, I was in my mind, and, and the good the, the, the part with me is I didn't have older brothers to really kind of line it out for me and, and put me in my place. Uh, I loved whatever sport was in season, and, you know, if it was basketball season, I loved basketball. If it was baseball season, I loved baseball. Um you know, and I, I, I put a lot of time and effort into the, all of those sports. And, and, you know, in some ways, football just came a little more naturally. Um, you know, I always tell people now that I was just big and willing to get in people's way, which is why I kind of, you know, had some success. And, and I, you know, let's don't get it twisted. I, I was not a superb player, but, but I think that I, I just naturally found a little more success in football than I did other sports. And so as I got into high school – uh, you know, I've, I've on the A team instead of the B team. And, and, and really kind of that moment for me was between my freshman and sophomore year, the coaches came and said, Hey, we, we want you to be in, you know, varsity football off season. I thought that was kind of a big deal for me because, you know, there was guys that were two or three years older than me in that program. And, and I knew those guys were some of the ones who were going to be suiting out on Friday night. And so that was really kind of that moment for me when I felt like, man, I was, you know, sort of set apart a little bit. And, um, you know, my sophomore year, I, I was on varsity, not as a starter, didn't play a lot. Um, but really just to get that experience of being there on Friday night, because, you know, 
in, in 97, the, the starting O-line for the Huntsville Hornets, there was five seniors. And so it was hard for me to really crack that rotation as a sophomore. But I think the experience that I gained being there uh, really helped me kind of move into that role as a starter, as a junior, and kind of be a leader and just say, hey, you know, been there, done that a little bit. Um, and, you know, back in those days, Huntsville was in, in, a, in a really good 5A district, and, and it seemed like every week we were playing some really, really good players. I mean, players that you'd heard of and went on to play, uh, you know, big-time college football and some of them in the NFL. But So that was kind of fun to really test yourself against some of those guys and some of those teams and to look back now and, and talk about some of those stories. But yeah. So anyway, yeah. I, I think that it was just one of those deals. I just – I don't know. I kind of shifted my mindset to say, "Hey, this is this is where I'm having success. This is where I need to to really focus my time and energy." Yeah, uh, Garrett, talk about you know just your your years in in high school, and and I'll I'll say this before uh, before you talk, just because you know you mentioned kind of like you know playing football was just sort of something you 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 mentioned you used the word obligation, you know, just kind of like something that was expected of you. And I remember, you know, Grant and me being a little bit frustrated with you at times because it didn't. It did seem like that, like you were just kind of there, you know, like not really putting your heart into it. And you know, you were a big kid, and you know, of course, your older brothers, you know, they want they want you to do well and they want to be proud of you. And I remember coming back to a game, uh, Garrett, of yours, maybe it was your junior year, and and seeing you play, and it was like the light, the the light had come on. You know, you you flipped the switch, and 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 it was obvious, like. Like you were your own person now, and and you had, you know, really uh, embraced this thing, and 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 really, really went on to to have a really successful career there at Huntsville. So just talk about, you know, those years playing those years playing high school ball. I mean, I think that you know Grant kind of mentioned it. I mean, like you're, it's almost like flowing water. You know, you kind of go where where you gravitate towards the things that you find success in, and. And I, you know, I was a bigger kid and I was strong and, and I was ultra competitive. And, and so I wasn't going to be, I wasn't going to be bested. And so, um, you know, kind of to Grant's point, I mean, it was a, almost for me a, a personal expectation that when, you know, varsity offseason came around that I was going to be part of that group. Um, and so it was almost, again, kind of a mentality that I had seen you guys embody and that our parents instilled in us where, you know, if, our parents would have rather seen us, you know, fail um, at, when we, we shot for the, the top than be successful at, you know, something uh, towards the bottom. For us, it was it was more of an expectation, you know, that if we're going to put that kind of effort and energy uh, and, and put our mind to something that, that you know, we were going to be successful. And so, um, yeah, I took to the took to uh, high school football and, and really that's when it kind of clicked for me. And um, uh, quite honestly, I thought that, uh, after seeing you, you guys both go and play college football, I knew that's what I wanted to do. I certainly didn't want to go be a, uh, an academic, an academic somewhere. Um, and I thought that football uh, created an opportunity. And so that was kind of where um, I set my goal. Um, I really big into football and then um, powerlifting, you know, was a, a huge component of my high school career as well. Yeah. I think there, there was a lot of guidance from, from just watching, watching you guys, but I also felt like we had a, a really strong coaching staff and, and folks that pushed us. And we had a lot of really good talent and, um, you know, kind of the same as, as Grant's point. I mean, we had a lot of uh, really quality uh, players in our district. Uh, you know, Brenham, I remember my senior year, Brenham had something like nine or 10 division one players on their team. 
Um, and so it really just forced us to want to be better and, and compete against those guys. And then uh, yeah, I think that that was kind of the underlying um, driver for me is, is not wanting to be the guy that was overlooked and not wanting to be the guy that was just kind of lost in the, uh, in the mix of everybody else. Yeah, I want to go back to one, something you said. You know, you talked about powerlifting being big for you, and and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I, I always kind of thought that that was what, because you know, I, I I did powerlifting a little bit in high school, but not you know not not really. I mean, I went to a couple meets, but um, you know, it wasn't anything that I was super into. And I know they're not I, looking. They're not looking for spaghetti noodles. No, no. I mean, that was like one hundred and seventy-five pounds. You know, um, and and Grant, I know nothing. Yeah, exactly. Nothing. Yeah, exactly. And Grant, I don't think you did power. So Garrett, that was kind of like that was like your thing, um, and and I and you were good at it. And uh, you qualified for state your senior year. And what would you finish sixth in in your weight class in state? Is that right or seven? Yeah, yeah, yeah seven, seven. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so to me, that was something that was that really gave you a lot of confidence. I I thought, and I think that was part of the difference. Is like you found that, and that was kind of like your deal, and that really. I think sort of helped you and helped your confidence in other areas as well. Right. I mean, is that, am I wrong on that or what do you, what, what yeah. are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I knew nothing about powerlifting. I, you know, only lifted weights when the coaches told us to do it and specifically for the purpose of football. Um, but to be honest with you, my sophomore year of, of high school, I, I just joined the powerlifting team so I could stop doing that ridiculous track and field stuff. I mean, that, that to me was just a drag <laughs> on my uh, on my existence, having to go out there. And I hated throwing the discus. I did not enjoy throwing the shot. I wasn't great at it either. I think Lord just, knows you weren't fast. Lord knows I wasn't. Gonna, they weren't going to put me in spikes. Um, and so I just, you know, the worst part for for a big guy going to attract me too is. You know, the field events are always first. Oh, so yeah. you go out there, you get out there at like 3.30, you take about two and a half minutes to complete all your throws, and then you're just hanging out for the rest of the day. Yeah. Um, so not, nothing about that was enjoyable. So, yeah, I found powerlifting, and um, it's very simple. You know, you just lift, and there's not a lot of thinking that goes into it. There's some strategy, certainly. Um, but I, I got good at yeah, it. The, st- the strategy is lift more, Yeah, I mean, that's the strategy. <laughs> that's right. right. That's right. That's right. Well, it's um, you know, it was, there was more strategy when I was not in the the 275 plus range because the strategy really came into diet. But once you kind of get into what they call the the super heavies, you all bets are off. You can just kind of full bore, um, you know, <laughs> eat eat whatever you want and just lift. And, and that was my excuse. I was like, look, no, I can't do cardio. I can't. Uh, I get can't back shift on that buffet. <laughs> I can't shift any of this muscle around. I got to use it next Saturday. Uh-huh. Grant, let's let's talk now. You know, you you you're done playing football in high school, and I remember, you know, that was back way before like you know all this recruiting stuff picked up. But I remember you you'd always get you know letters from schools, and that was exciting. And and you know, I want you to talk about this because I remember, I mean, as a, as a as your your younger brother, you know, I was in eighth grade when you were a senior. You know, I'm thinking, man, my brother's big time, and, and, you know, he's about to go play at, you know, Baylor or Texas or something. I mean, just because that's just the way I saw you. And um, and and then, you know, signing day comes and goes, and, and you were kind of wondering what you were going to do. So just talk about that time and then uh, ultimately, you know, how you wound up at Harding. Man, you know, it's so – it's so. Um, I think about that a lot now, looking back at those years and, and – 
you know, I think a lot about what 38 year old me would tell 17 year old me. And, and man, I would have a lot of long conversations with that guy. You know, recruiting has changed. You've seen it. I mean, it's changed so much over the last, you know, not to be cliche, but it, it really has. I mean, back then we didn't really know who was recruiting us or not. I mean, they would drop letters in your locker and, you know, that kind of thing. And I'd get letters to say, Hey, come to this camp. And I was like, I, I mean, I, I just didn't know. Like I just was not educated. I didn't know about the process. And this is an embarrassing story that I, I will tell you um, that, that I, I shudder at now to think back that I did this, but you know, we growing up in Huntsville, our parents being, being Bearcats, you know, we were kind of sort of, inundated with the orange and and i i got a call from a coach from Stephen f austin and uh you know being 17 and sort of you know you're, you're kind of arrogant on top of the world type deal and and he said hey man we want to get you over and watch a game and i was like yeah man that's cool uh why don't i just why don't i watch y'all when y'all come over here this year that you know i don't have to drive over there and you know Credit to him. He continued to try <laughs> to politely recruit me, and then I think he just got the message: this kid's an idiot, and yeah. he, you know he's probably not going to come here. But, but, gosh, I'm like, why did you not just, you know, let yourself be recruited and and you know, and create some some competition? And so, you know, I look back at that time, and I honestly, like, I would, I, if I could do it again, I would do things differently. But I'm glad sometimes we can't do things differently because we would be in different spots than we are now. Does that make yeah, sense? Like, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't change anything, but I would change everything and it would change everything. So, I, you know, that might boggle some, some folks' minds, but it has changed so much. And I was getting all these letters and I remember um, people saying that, hey, they were going to, you know, offer me this or that. And, and you're right, man. And I, I remember talking with the offensive coordinator from Baylor. And it came down to signing day and, you know, he called and he said, Hey, I just want to let you know, we're not going to offer you a scholarship, but, but we'd love for you to walk on. And I thought, well, I mean, of course you would like you give me for nothing, you know, and you can just bang on me. And if I leave, then, then you haven't invested anything in me. So, you know, I kind of got frustrated with football to be quite honest with you. And I was really, there was a part of me, you know, we weren't really good uh, my last two years in Huntsville. And, and so I was a little bit frustrated that I put so much time and effort and energy and, and really kind of felt let down. Like I didn't, you know, it didn't really pay off for me, you know, and I had some offers and some opportunities that there was just at that point in my life, some allure to being a student, you know what I mean? To like just going to school, doing your work and moving on with life, you know, because I think at that point it was apparent that I wasn't going to be an NFL caliber player all those things, you know, and, and man, the mind of an 18 year old is just, is just an interesting place. Um, such an undeveloped place. And, and gosh, and so I had basically hung up my cleats, you know, said, Hey, I'm not going to play anymore. I had moved on and, and got accepted to A&M and, and really kind of just football was behind me. And there was a part of me that was at peace with that. And, Man, it wasn't – I mean, I think I had even graduated when I received some some contact from Harding. And the coach there called, and he said, hey, man, we want you to come check us out. And I was like, yeah, okay. And, you know, Dad was like, man, you really ought to go do that. I, at that point, I felt like Dad wanted me to play more than I wanted to play. And, you know, again, when you're 18 and you're kind of on the verge of, quote, making your own decisions, like whatever your folks want you to do, you want to do the opposite of that, right? Yeah, and so yeah. if they want you to do something, then you're more likely to not do it. And, but, you know, I sort of, you know, humored him a little bit. We made a trip up there 
And here's another thing, Ty. I don't know if you knew this, but again, to to the folks listening, like 38-year-old me would would just rear back and and jaw slap 18-year-old me. But one of the mentalities, Ty, when I got all these letters was, I don't want to play football at a place that has uh, trees in the picture of their stadium, right? (laughs) So if you take a picture of your field and I can see trees in the background, your stadium's not big enough, and I'm not interested in playing there. I'm telling you that it's arrogant, it's short-sighted, it's all the things that I despise. But that's what I thought. And so, so timeout. If you were if you were a recruit today, so you'd be the um, you know blessed to receive my 42nd D1 offer from such and such university. Like you'd probably right. be one of those kids, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's what I'm saying. Just like, like I releasing a top ten, kid, you know, I would like slap me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I would. That, I mean, come on, man. But I think that's just. I mean, that's just some difference between kids that are that age and, and where I'm at today. Yeah. And we pulled up to Hardy Stadium, and I was like, I, I looked at Dad, and I was like, No, I mean, yeah. this, this stadium is smaller than the stadium I played at in high school. Which, side note, was the Bearcat Stadium, which is a Division One stadium. So, yeah, not really a fair comparison. But, you know, for all the wrong reasons, I just said no, and, um, you know man, I think through some prayer and perseverance and really even against my will, I decided to give it a chance Yeah, to go to Harding. And really, like I say, just to probably just to satisfy those who wanted me to do it, it really wasn't what I wanted to do. So yeah. Yeah. Um, I did. And then, and then that brought on its own set of challenges. So, yeah. Yeah. And we'll get to those here in a second. Uh, Garrett, talk about your, your recruiting process. And, and again, you know, I was ahead of you. I was at Harding. You know, Grant and I were both. Grant had just finished up and was was out of football at that point, but I was still at Harding and and uh, kind of the same thing with, with, with Grant. I remember thinking, you know, that that you were going to be one of those guys that goes to a, you know like a, a lower level D one or, or something like that. And I know you had some other schools interested in, in talking to you, and and you wound up at Harding. So talk about that because uh, you were always as a kid growing up, especially once you kind of became. Uh, your own person, so to speak, you know, and kind of stepped out of the shadows of the rest of us. You know, you like to definitely do your own thing. And if it was something that all of us did, then you were definitely going to do the, the, the opposite. But, you know, you had all three of us, you know, we have a sister as well. All three of us were, had gone to Harding up to that point. And, and to me, I remember thinking there was absolutely no way that you would wind up at Harding, but you did. So talk about that. I mean, you know, I didn't know much about the recruiting process. To be fair to our coaches, you know, I think they had a lot going on and and it was not in their wheelhouse to uh, really facilitate that. Recruiting's changed a lot even in the past 15 years since I was going through that process. But, um, yeah, I mean, but the one thing I knew, the first thing I put on my recruiting requirements or kind of hit list was that I wasn't going to Harding. Um, And that was that was for sure. Um, mostly because I just didn't want to go there to your point. I, I was, uh, I was kind of defiant that way. And that was kind of my personality being the youngest of four. I didn't want to be the kid that just fell in line, but also because I thought I had opportunities to go, um, play elsewhere. And, and I, I did, I got, you know, in some further conversations with, with, um, some, you know, kind of mountain West type colleges, like, uh, you know, uh, New Mexico, Colorado State, UTEP, those were three were probably the biggest in the process. But um, at the end of the day, I kind of the writing on the wall was uh, it really came down to, uh, to Abilene Christian and, and Harding. Um, and I, I really wanted to go to Abilene Christian. I had a handful of friends that were going there. 
Uh, I knew it was a great school and it was a great program. Um, side note, it was, it was, uh, only two hours from our, from our dear lease. So that was a, uh, definitely. And it was in Texas, which was, uh, another you know, definite a, virtue, a, a factor for me. So, yeah. yeah, but I mean, at the end of the day, you know, going to Harding was something that uh, was nothing short of just uh, a crystal clear image from, from the Lord that that's where I needed to go. I mean, the short story is, I was about to, uh, it was the Friday before signing day. I was about to commit to Abilene Christian on a, on a modest scholarship. Um, and I came out of the high school that Friday and I hadn't had cell phone service. And I came out to a voicemail from the office of coordinator at Harding and, and they had just had a guy, um, hang up his cleats that, that, uh, that day. And he was an offensive lineman and it freed up some, some scholarship and they were, you know, able to make it compelling and, just kind of in that moment, um, you know, I talked to, talked to our dad and I said, uh, Hey, here's the deal. Here's what they, you know, here's what they uh, are offering. And here's the situation. Here's, you know, it's more than just a scholarship. It was like, there's an opportunity for me to go and have an impact and, and play early. Um, you know, be in a place that I'm familiar with. And, and he, he just, dad just kind of laid it out pretty clearly that this is, uh, you know, we've been praying a lot about it and it was, it was clear that this is where, um, you know, where, where the Lord was leading me. And so after all of my, uh, efforts, uh, to, to keep Harding off the list, it became abundantly clear that that was where I was uh, supposed to go. Um, and, and to Grant's point, I mean, 31 year old Garrett would probably do a lot of things different, but 31 year old Garrett wouldn't be where he is today without, uh, that decision walking out that Friday afternoon. So, yeah, it wasn't part of my plan, certainly. Um, and there are a lot of things that have come out of that that have been uh, extremely positive. But um, yeah, I mean, that was that was a complete, uh, complete about face of my plans and my intentions. But, um, you know, I, I loved it. And I could talk for hours about uh, different stories and, and experiences that I had that came out of that decision. I'm going to we're going to talk about that now, Garrett. And, and I'm going to go ahead and say this because I know that, that you, you won't. But, you know, you had a, a really solid career there at Harding and, and ended up being all conference your senior year. Uh, You're a team captain. And and so just talk about your time at Harding, because, you know, again, you had two brothers who had already gone through before you. And I'm sure there was some, you know, a definite desire there to to have your own identity and to be your own person and to be looked at as not as Ty and Grant's brother, but as, as Garrett. And, and so just talk about that and just talk about some of the highlights uh, from playing at Harding. It was, um, I, I mean, I, I feel like I spent most of my life trying to carve out that um, image and, and probably early on at Harding, I, I went overboard trying to uh, carve a new path and, and distance myself from that. And, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah, I got my own group of friends. I got my own kind of associations, and um, you know, so a lot of them were similar to what you guys were were involved in. And um, friends are weird, yeah, but you know, yeah, yeah, my friends are weird um, to a degree, but you know, weird is relative, I guess. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was you know, it was an opportunity for me to really kind of to, to do that, and I think that's what college is for most people, anyways. But um, yeah, I mean, the my experience. It, at Harding and specifically with football was pretty unique in that when I got there, I redshirted as a freshman. Um, we had, um, you know, we had a very mature and veteran offensive line and I knew that we were going to for the, the next uh, year for certain. Um, and so I redshirted, 
Uh, but we spent the first three years of my career one, running the uh, a Tony Franklin type offense. I mean, we you're talking like five or six foot splits between the offensive linemen. Um, I mean, we're we're basically out in the slot uh, if you're playing <laughs> yeah. left or right tackle, and, yeah. and we're slinging that ball. Um, you know, I can't remember. I remember one time we went into triple overtime with Southwest Baptist, and um, we set a record by uh, having 137 offensive snaps. And then they set the record on their final drive uh, with like 139, I think. So, yeah. you know, yeah. game was five and a half hours long. But uh, after my uh, sophomore year on the field, my third year into Harding, we did a complete 180 uh, and transitioned to um, like a, a flex option, kind of a Georgia Tech, uh, Paul Johnson type of approach. And I was, I mean, I was so mad I, I almost transferred um, because that was something where, I invested three years learning the Tony Franklin and, and, uh, enjoying eating my way up to, you know, 300 plus, um, for the first time in my life. And now they wanted me to drop 25 pounds, put my hand back in the dirt and, and, uh, and start running the ball. Um, but you know what, after, after that spring where we installed it, it was, it, it became so fun. Uh, and, and the thing that they said to get me to buy in was, you know, we're going to give the hammer back to the offensive line because for so many years in a, in a pass happy offense, I mean, an offensive lineman's job is to kick, kick slide and just get punched in the mouth and, and just try to hold on, Yeah. Uh, you know, for the, for the most part, but yeah. um, running that triple option was, those are, those are some of the funnest games I've ever played in my entire career. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we were rushing for 400, 500 yards a game. Uh, we'd throw the ball three times for, you know, 120, something like that. Um, and there were always, you know, two thirds of them were touchdowns. Uh, you know, we played against some, some quality, quality athletes, um, many of whom are, you know, probably finishing up their NFL careers, a handful of them. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of stories. You know, we weren't all that good when I was there. Uh, I mean, we won, you know, we won six or seven eight, you know, maybe eight games, uh, a year while I was there, but, um, man, the transition went from being one of the worst things that I could have imagined, uh, to one of the you know, highlights of my career there. Um, you know, we, we were the, uh, number one rushing offense in, in all of NCAA at one point my senior year. Um, and as a testament to the, the system and, and the team that we had around us, uh, you know, I was honored as the top offensive lineman, uh, you know, one of the top offenses uh, in the country. And so, yeah, you know, had had an opportunity to be honored uh, all conference and all region. But, um, man, I, it was there's some of the funnest times that, that I can ever remember uh, getting out there and, and uh, running that triple option. Yeah, I remember I think we all three had this conversation. I talked about this when they did make that transition and and I don't know if any of us were fans of it at the time. I, if I remember correctly, uh, I, I was probably the 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 most okay with it at the at the time. And I think you know if this is this has to be true because you know Grant was the most vocal against it. Um, most not okay with it. Yeah, most not okay with it. And we went back and forth, and and that was the subject of probably that that Christmas you know, uh, or whenever it was that Christmas, you know, around the, around the, uh, around presents and stuff, that was a pretty hotly 
contested point between all three of us just talking about it and 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 what we no, thought I think about we it. had to i think we had to agree not to discuss it anymore we, yeah we such yeah and yeah we, i think it so was at that level like yeah. we're fixing to get you know yeah scratching gravel if we don't stop talking yeah about yeah yeah that's how that's how passionate we got about yeah it, so. yeah and and uh you know i think all this of it might be the first in-depth football conversation we've had since then <laughs> that you know, you're probably right <laughs> now that you mention it and it's a good thing we're all in three different cities and in case things do get ramped up here in a little bit but uh you know punch holes in my wall there you go yeah well uh and i obviously hey it worked out well for them they're they're um I don't think uh, you know anybody. I don't think I went out on a limb here when I say Harding has has turned itself into one of the the premier Division two programs uh, in oh, the nation yeah. and still running that uh, that um, that that triple option um, uh, offense. Yeah, and it's I'll admit it's probably no coincidence that you know I left there after the 2011 season and, and since the 2012 season Harding has not missed a postseason. Uh, whether it be a bowl game or the playoffs. So I, I'm aware of, of the um, how that looks on me as a player, that as soon as I left, uh, the yeah, winning percentage went yeah. through the roof. So yeah. I'm not Glad sure what going. that says about me or our senior class. Glad you're going, baby. Thank you. Yeah. Well, Grant, let, let's jump back over to you because, you know, unlike Garrett, there was no trail for you to follow. And you're at this play, and, and Harding looked a lot different when you got there in, in the fall of 2000 than it did for Garrett when he got there, what, 07, Garrett? Um, yeah, that's and, right. and it even looks a whole lot different than it do, now than it did for you, Garrett. But, Grant, oh, yeah. you know, for, for you, uh, it was it, – it, the, the, there were no facilities to speak of, you know, nothing that we were like, oh, man, that's awesome. Uh, and so just talk about that and, and just talk about your, your time and, and your career there at Harding, uh, you know, as you, as you went on through. Yeah, there was a rumor right before I got there that, that one of the coaches had burned down the press box so that they could at least upgrade that, which they had done. And that was one of the main, I guess, facility upgrades uh, that they had done prior to me getting there. But, I, I mean, I want to paint a picture for you. When I left, Ty, and I don't know if you're – you probably don't remember this, but, you know, Dad had gotten me like a little Chevy step side that could make the drive from Huntsville to, to Searcy. Um, and, and just to kind of give you an idea of where I was, personally like man Huntsville I was a homeboy man you know what I'm saying I, I yeah. Huntsville was was who I was who I you know that was me my people were there it was all I knew I packed up that truck it was around August the 11th and I had to be there in time uh for for two days or three days even back then um but I packed up that truck and man I'm gonna be honest with you I packed up some trophies like from you know obscure league sports from when I was a kid. I mean, I just packed up all these memories and photos of me and Fred, you know, and I packed all that stuff because I was trying to take as much of that with me as I could. And I got in that step side, man. And I started driving by myself. You know, I don't, you can ask mom and dad why they didn't go with me, but they sent me on up there and, you know, I had the CD player and Creed was big, man. And I just remember just listening to with arms wide open, you know, the whole way up there. And, you know, I, I, I had paper maps that I'm following to get to Arkansas. You know what I mean? I'm looking at a paper map. And mom was like, hey, call me when you get to Little Rock. So I did. I pulled over to a payphone and called mom and was like, hey, I made it to Little Rock. She's like, all right, keep going. So I did. Pulled into Cersei, had been there one time, and, and I really didn't know where to go. 
found my way to the to the to the uh, Gaines Athletic Complex, and I pulled up there, and Coach Beeson comes out and he meets me, and he he had never met me, he didn't know who I was, and he looked up my my name on a sh- on a sheet, and he said, okay, well you're going to be in Harbin dorm, and he walks out and he points up to it, and he said it's up there, and I was like, okay, and. <laughs> So I go up, drive my little truck up there. I had gotten a little TV for, for graduation. I take it upstairs in my dorm room, old dorm. And it was the first time, you guys know, the first time in my life, our life, that I connected that TV and had cable. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. And I had a remote that was able to watch Sports Center at, at just at nausea. Just, so anyway, um, so that was a, a, a very trying time. But then you know, I kind of thought, hey, I'm going to come in here. And I'm going to just kind of push my way around, and I'm going I'm to fix some play. And lo and behold, if there was a guy who was on the depth chart in front of me named Chad Eason, who was a redshirt sophomore who would go on to be a three-time All-American. And I got a lot of mental reps <laughs> watching that guy, um, you know, just do work. Yeah. And, you, you know, a lot of times there's this animosity between guys that are ahead of you, and, and I could just say, uh, without question, Chad Eason became a really good friend and mentor for me. There's probably not, if you're going to have to sit behind somebody, there's not a better person in the world to sit behind than Chad Eason. So, yeah, yeah. man, I, I battled. Uh, I was homesick. I looked for every excuse and reason to go home. Almost did after Christmas uh, that first semester. Hated it, despised it, and wanted to leave. And I was ready to just mail it in. And, and I, I did. I literally did. And I went back up to my dorm after Christmas to pack it up. And I had a conversation with dad and, I, and that's a prevailing theme throughout this thing is I had a conversation with dad and he talked me into staying for an extra semester, just stay through the spring. And I did that. And, you know, that was, that was such a pivotal moment for me in my life of saying, Hey, when you're met with adversity, the natural inclination is to, is to, is to turn and go away from it. But, yeah. and I did, I mean, I, but if not for people who encouraged me and said, Grant, Hey, uh, uh-uh. You ain't going to do that. You're going to yeah. press through. And, man, it, it just paid such huge dividends for me on down the road, just personally. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, and and then as as you did progress, I think you definitely, uh, I, you know, because I remember, I remember going up to visit you your freshman year, and, you know, I would stay with you in the dorm, and we'd come up and watch y'all's games, and you were red-shirted, so you weren't playing, uh, but we still came up and watched. And, and I remember you telling me, hey, Whatever you do, don't ever come here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no and question. Just... Now, I, I had hey when I the first night in that dorm, I looked around at those cinder block walls, and I was like, dude, there is no way in the world I would ever spend four years here. Yeah, and and when you say things like that, you'll look up and go, you're right. You spent four and a half years there. Yeah. Um, but after that, you know, at the end of that spring semester, our, our deep snap deep snapper had graduated, and they said, hey man, before summer, they said, hey Grant. Uh, I want you to consider deep snapping in the fall. And they gave me a sack of footballs, and they told me I could take my, my helmet shoulder pads, and I did. And I went back home for the summer. Um, and this is a, I don't know if I've ever told anybody this, but, you know, I had all my stuff in the back of my truck, and I had had my helmet shoulder pads in one of those mesh sacks. Or, and I don't even remember if I, I just set them in there. Well, they flew out <laughs> on the interstate. <laughs> Flew out on the interstate, <laughs> and I, by the time I realized, it, I turned back and I drove like twenty or thirty miles, you know, for looking for my for a set of helmet and shoulder pads. Yeah, and and never found them. And I was like, well, 
I guess that's gone. So I had a sack of three or four footballs. So I went home that summer and and I just deep snapped uh, over and over and over and over. And I hated deep snapping every every time I ever did it. But I realized that was going to be the only way I could get on the field for my redshirt freshman and sophomore year while I'm watching Chad be an All-American. I thought deep snap is the only way I'm going to get on the field. And, you know, again, that adversity of learning how to do that and, you know, understanding that you're probably never, you, you know, they used to get on to me and film because on extra point, I would, you know, the guy in front of me would jump up to try to block the kick and I would grab his leg and just kind of go over with him. You know what I mean? And I was yeah. like, it was, you know, it was the only time I had on the field and I was pin up aggression. I was like, man, I got to take this out on somebody. Yeah. But Ty, one of the things that really stood out for me was the first time I got to college and I, I looked around and I was like, man, there's some guys here that are bigger than me. There's some guys here that are stronger. You know, they're, they're, they have attributes that are better than mine. And yeah. what I realized is that what I had done in high school got me to where I was. And, and I, man, you know, the weight programs and things back then uh, weren't what they are now. But even though, but I even had coaches who were like, hey, man, you need to be doing this, this, and this. And I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. The things I was doing got me to where I was, but I realized that wasn't going to get me to where I wanted to go any further. So, you know, that first summer home, I, I took those workouts extremely seriously, and and I did them daily. I don't know if you may remember that or not, but but I just decided, man, I'm going to have to be different uh, and, and work like I've never worked before if I'm going to make something out of this. Yeah. And, and I just realized, man, that the work and the effort paid out results. And I just thought, if I outwork everybody, they can't ignore me. Yeah. And little by little, I could start to see that that was getting people's attention, that, that they knew, hey, when you when Grant Taylor showed up for a workout, he was fixing to give it. You know what I mean? Like, he was going to give it. And, and, and just little by little, incrementally, I could see myself kind of inching up the ladder. And it took years and years and years, but but I, I don't know, man. Again, there's so much about football for me that relates to life and so much that I learned that certainly I was never, you know, I didn't make all conference. I never made all district, never made all con- I just was, I don't know, man. I was good enough to play, but not the best. And But so much of my life, life lessons I learned from the football field, it's incredible. And so, yeah. you know, I got to go on my junior and senior year, and I got to start for two years. Um my junior year, you know, one of my proudest accomplishments is I came off the field for one offensive snap. Uh, I was bleeding, and I had to run off, and, and that was it. And I got to play. I was, I was I was proud of that. And then my senior year, I had a guy that I really uh, was friends with and respected who was a couple years younger, and, and he was going to be playing the following year. And so, you know, when there was opportunities for him to get in and play, I was glad to let him do that because Chad had done that for me Yeah, as a younger guy. Yeah. And so I wanted to pay that forward a little bit but anyway so it turned out to be a great experience personally uh man the friends i made the buddies that i have the guys that i still you know here we are 15 some 20 years later still on text threads together and and uh gosh that's that's probably one of the coolest things is just the friends i have and the lessons i learned yeah um, and yeah. You, you know some of the games we think back on and the circumstances and that kind of thing so i can go on and on well we're going to talk about some of those lessons uh now we're going to talk about that and just just how those you know how those so now that everyone has kind of a feel for for you guys and and where you're coming from as far as your football uh you know perspectives go 
Um, you know, it's it's been since since you let both you guys left Harding that you that was the last time you actively you know were involved in a game of football on a daily basis. And and an obvious it's obvious talking to you that that fire still burns pretty hot. Uh, you know, the, the, those the, for that for the game and for the experiences that you had there. But let's let's go back and and this can be we can talk about this for over any part of your career, uh, Pee Wee High School football. But let's talk about some coaches because you know obviously this podcast is geared towards coaches and and I want guys to who listen to this today to yeah I mean we we can reminisce and talk about some stuff but I want them to hear from guys who are. Uh, you know, played football growing up, and now they're out of it. Now they're in the real world. You know, what were some things that their coaches did that stuck out to to, to you, and that you still remember and lean on today? And and in the hopes that we can take that now and 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 make sure that we're we're doing our best to to do those things, so that you know our players are talking about us like you guys are about to talk about these coaches um, who impacted you. So, um, Garrett, talk to us about just some coaches that you had along the way. Uh, who impacted you? You know, what were some things they said or they did that that really had an impact on you as a person? Yeah, the uh, the example I always think about, and I, I actually think about this often, um, and have thought about it often, is is I'll, I'll just go with the the easy example, which is uh, Coach Huck, Ronnie Huckabee, who was our um, head coach when I for for the majority of my career at Harding. Um, in my junior year, he took over as the offensive line coach too. So, uh, imagine the head coach's intensity as your position coach. Um, yeah. and he specifically focused on the, the interior lineman in that flex and I was a guard. Um, but I remember something I'll never forget going into my junior year. Um, you know, we just made this big switch to the offense and, and we had one of our first, um, one of our first uh, team meetings for that spring semester. And, you know, like I'd done before in, in previous meetings, I just walk in and I go straight to the back because that's kind of where our group of guys sat. It was set towards the back of this long room. And and coach comes in, handles his normal meeting, and everything goes on like, like every other team meeting. And uh, afterwards, he, he called me into his office and he said, sit down. And like, I was like, wow, what, a, you know, what I do, I mean, what, you know, I hadn't even talked to you today and you know, my, my grades are good. Hadn't been uh, misbehaving anything like that. And he just looked at me and he was just frustrated. And he goes, um, he said, I'm going to tell you something right now. He said, uh, you as a future leader of this team have got to make better decisions. And I'm still thinking, what did I do? You know, like I'm thinking, yeah, who knows? I have no clue what happened. And, and he said, uh, he said, you made an intentional decision today to walk into that room and sit yourself at the back of the room. He goes, and that's not what leaders do. He said, uh, that is something that I don't expect from you and I better not ever see it again. He said, I expect more from you and this team expects more from you. He said, if I ever see that again, we're going to have a different conversation. Wow. And, and I just remember kind of looking at him and I was like, you know, but, but the thing that that was, it was so impactful for me because, you know, that was something that was completely no thought, no intentionality behind me walking in. I wasn't being, you know, uh, defiant and sitting at the back of the room because of playing. It's just what I did. Um, but what it, what it taught me is that even even in the, in the absence of intentionality, there's intentionality, right? Yeah. By not doing it and not thinking about, you know, who do I want to be? Who am I going to be as a leader? Um, I, I was making a decision, 
yeah. uh, and he called me on it. And yeah. I, he is one of the guys that I respect the absolute most in this world. Yeah. Um, and he and I have a really, really good relationship uh, to this day. Um, but I, I'll never forget that, that him calling me out and, and putting me in my place. And, and, you know, that was a, it was a turning point for me in my, my college career. Yeah. It kind of sounds like, you know, you were sort of at the point that Grant was just talking about where, you know, what you had done up to that point had gotten you to that point, but it wasn't good enough going forward. And now that you were a, an upperclassman, you know, uh, naturally guys were, you would look up to you just because you'd been in the program for a while and, and you were also a starter. And so, uh, you know, it was, it was, he made it evident to you that, that things were, the expectations put on you were different than what they had been previously. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I mean, that's something that, you know, I, I lead a team uh, now at work and that's kind of the mentality and expectation that, that we, uh, we set for our team in a completely non-competitive, you know, non-sports competitive world. I mean, we're all in sales and so everything is competitive, but in, in a, completely um this you know uh, apart from sports uh th- that's a mentality and stuff that we still apply every day i mean we yeah. you know we're, we're one of a half a dozen teams and our expectation is that we're going to be the leaders we're going to be the most vocal we're going to be uh at, at the top of the leaderboard um and, and so it's that simple lesson um is it, still applicable in my life today so what other coaches uh, had an impact on you, Garrett? Yeah, you know, I think about, um, you know, my position coaches throughout throughout college and, and certainly Coach Huck and Coach Chisholm at Harding were, were really impactful. But, um, you know, I, I give a lot of credit to uh, my high school offensive line coach. He actually was, you know, we talked about powerlifting. He was the uh, head powerlifting coach. His name is Scott Stoughton. Um, you know, he, he dealt with me kind of in that phase that you were talking about earlier about where I, I just really didn't care. Um, and I give him a lot of credit for kind of making me care about football and helping me care. I mean, uh, I was really immature in high school and still am to this day, to be fair. But he, um, he, he really poured a lot into, into our group. Um, but he really poured a lot into me, uh, especially. Uh, and, and he was hard. Uh, on, on me especially, but man, he, he taught us a lot of things. Um, he taught us how to work hard. He taught us how to, uh, how to be tough. He taught us how to, you know, not put up with anything. And the offensive lineman always kind of had a, uh, got a bad rap for being the guys that were, that were passive in some sense. And, and he taught us uh, how to be mean and, and how to be aggressive. And um, yeah, I always, I always think about, he used to use the analogy of offensive linemen as being the, the lugs of the, of the vehicle, the lugs on the wheel. Um, you know, he talked about, I can't remember all the assignments he had for the skill players, but mostly they're, you know, quarterbacks, the, the driver and running backs so of the, the chrome and the, you know, the wheels and the receivers are the, you know, different accents, but um, you know, the offensive linemen were those dirty, nasty uh, lugs that kept everything in motion. Um, you know, and so I always kind of embodied that mindset and, and almost took that as a, he made it something where we were very proud about it. Uh, you know, we're not in the spotlight um, and probably a lot can be said for the defensive line as well. But, yeah, that was that was really impactful for me um, and, and something that I always think about. Um, you know, we don't it's not about getting the glory. It's not about getting the spotlight. It's about showing up every day, doing your job because other people rely on you. Um, you know, and that was just kind of something that he really ingrained in us. 
Yeah, and, and you know, it's funny. I ran into Coach Stoughton at uh, the Lone Star uh, Clinic, coaching clinic, probably two or three years ago. And, um, yeah, he coached me a little bit. I was kind of on the way out. I mean, I was kind of, I think maybe it was my senior year. So uh, I remember liking him a lot as a coach and, and kind of remembering some of the same things that you talked about. But uh, obviously my, my relationship with him was, was not nearly as strong as, as it was with you. And, and so when we talked, uh, the conversation pretty quickly turned to you. And, and it was clear that, that, that you had a big impact on him as well and that, that he had a lot of uh, – a lot of great things to say about you. And so that was cool to be able to run into him and talk to him about, you know, uh, his time at Huntsville and coaching you up. So I think, I think part of that is because you and I weighed the same weight playing the same position when you were a senior and I was a freshman. <laughs> that's, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So for, for you guys, listen, Garrett, it was, was a freshman and I was a senior. I was a, how do you say skinny, Tall, skinny, slow kid with very a lot of heart, athleticism, a lot of heart. but a lot of heart. <laughs> About six foot, one ninety. Yeah, one eighty-eight. We both got our physical. Mom yeah. took us to get our physical on the same day, and we both weighed one eighty-eight. Okay. I'll never forget that. Okay, one eighty-eight. I, I could drive right. by a Golden Corral and gain ten pounds, and Ty was waking up at midnight to eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. That's true. To That's to a true. That is a pound. true statement. I mean, it's that is a true statement. I mean, like creatine. Like was was my friend, man. I mean, I bought the, the the creatine tablets that you chewed up, and dude, I remember walking between classes and just you know chewing those things. They were lemon lime, and it was just like chalk, you know, it was like sidewalk chalk you're eating. But um, smashing peanut butter jellies before I go to bed, waking up in the middle of the night, eating, and and could not could not gain weight for for the life of me. But yeah, so yeah, I forgot about that that we were the same weight my senior year and your freshman year. <laughs> All right. Well, Grant, talk about talk about some coaches who impacted you. Yeah, I, I want to walk it back a little bit. So, you know, I mentioned being five or six. Man, when I was a kid, the Huntsville Hornets were the thing, man. I mean, like, was was were really good. And I can remember at one point Huntsville Hornets being ranked number one team in the nation by USA Today. And so that was really what, what my frame of reference was for. I mean, I was in first grade standing out on the parking lot of Gibbs Elementary when the team drove by on charter buses headed towards Texas Stadium in Dallas to play, you know, I don't remember if it was Maverick or, I mean, the Marshall Mavericks or who it was, but, man, it was such a big, we were all standing out there cheering them on, and it was, you know, Steve Clements was the quarterback, and he was the son of the legendary Joe Clements, and then Chuck, and, you know what I mean, like all these guys, and, yeah. and Cesar O'Neal was a legend, man. He went on to play for Miami, and those were the guys that I idolized as a kid. I mean, Literally, I just idolized them. And so I would be at these games, and I remember this coach, uh, and I would watch him warm up, and I was just in awe of the whole experience. And, and I would watch this coach, and he'd be out there, big old guy, big hands, and you know how the, they throw the pass routes, the, the fade routes down the sideline, and the receiver flips it back to the coach. Well, this coach would grab it, and he would underhand throw it all the way back to the to the center across the field, and I was in awe of that. And, and I watched that guy, and then – when I got to sixth grade, he ended up being my PE coach, and it was Coach Armstead. And, man, I just remember just, just being in awe of this guy and idolizing him. And and we got to be pretty close. And then, uh, you know, when, when I got to be a freshman, he was back to coaching at the high school again. And, man, he took me under his wing. And he talked to me, and he said, hey, man, you're going to be a good football player. He said, I'm, I'm going to work with you, and you're, you're going to be a good football player. And Coach Armstead, Coach Jack Armstead, uh, was just that guy for me. I mean, you know, I, 
there's probably I can count on one hand the number of guys who have truly had a significant impact on my life. And golly, in that small group, he's he's at or near the top. I mean, just the way he mentored me and shepherded me and coached me. And it was not there was a lot of days when it was not fun. I mean, a lot of days uh, where he he was that guy, huge, big guy, strong guy, had played at Huntsville and then at Sam Houston State and just had a reputation as just being a, a, a tough, tough fella. And and I saw him at some point. He would – I know you guys can't do this these days, Ty, and, uh, you know, but 25 years ago he told a guy, he said, hey, give me your headgear. And he took the guy's helmet and he put it on. And and he said nah, – and he – he was a defensive lineman and he took this guy on and we were just like, we were in awe of him. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Dude, he he had on no pads, just a helmet. We were fully confident. He would whoop any and every one of us right there on the spot. Um, but his passion is his intensity. Uh, and you know, he had a way of knowing where your buttons were to push you, to get you going. Yeah. And he did that with me. Um, I can remember, you know, my junior year, you know, I was six foot three and, and, and as an offensive lineman, that's kind of the threshold you need to eclipse to get looks from colleges. And I probably was kind of getting, you know, a little bit lax and kind of feeling myself a little bit, you know, you read about yourself and Dave Campbell's and as everybody does. And, and I remember one day, uh, in practice, uh, he, he he was just riding me, you know what I'm saying? Like, hey, you're not giving it to me. You're not giving me effort, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just kind of, yeah, yeah. And he said, you know what? Ever since I put you in that magazine, you hadn't been worth a dirt. And I thought, man, that kind of cut me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And, and, boy, it got me going. And another day, he was riding me, and, and we were in the huddle fixing a break in practice. You know, it's hot. You're tired. We're literally just trying to make it through. And he said, you know what? He said, ever since your daddy bought you that truck, you been worthless. Well, <laughs> the previous summer, dad bought me a 1982 GMC, three-quarter ton. Yeah. It had a dadgum headache rack on it. There was not a thing in the world special about it. I mean, it was it was a point A to point B type scenario. Yeah. And, and I thought, how are you going to rag me about that, man? That thing, it's got oxidized paint. It's got dents all over it. I mean, come on, man. But he said that, and a couple of my buddies started laughing at me, and that just infuriated me. And, and he knew when he when he made me mad like that, I would just get super dialed in. And, man, I can remember probably on more than one of occasions, I would be so angry and so frustrated. And I'd be walking off the field, you know, kind of sweat sniveling. You know how it is? Like, yeah. you know, you're just – you can't really decide if you're crying or mad or sweating or just all that. And I was feeling sorry for myself. And I was mad walking off the field. And he'd holler at me, hey, Grant. And I looked at him. And, you know, you can't just ignore him. And he would saunter over to me. And, man, I, I'm telling you, I, this is burned in my mind. Like, he would put his arm around my shoulder pads. And he would pull me in close as we're walking off the field, me feeling all sorry for myself. And he said, hey, you know I don't like to do that to you, right? And I I'm like, well, it sure doesn't seem like it. <laughs> he said, do you know why I do you that way? And I said, no, sir. And he said, because I love you and I expect more out of you. And, man, I am telling you, when he said that, the next day I would come out there and run through a wall for that man. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah. he figured out how to get the max effort he could out of me. Yeah. You know, and there's a lot of times I think back and I'm like, I probably didn't even deliver on – 
what the potential he saw in me. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I don't think I acknowledged the potential in myself that he saw in me. Yeah. And, and, and in some ways that still drives me today. Cause I'm like, man, I think I sell myself short and a guy like him, who's got to sit out here and just stay on me to get me to be at my full potential. He saw more in me than I saw in myself. And so, you know, I don't know if coach Armstead would ever listen to this and, and he probably would walk away from me if I ever started to tell him how much I appreciate, um, not how much he impacted my football career, but my life. And truthfully, that has impacted the way I, I conduct my life. It has impacted the way I parent my children, especially my sons, because, you know, I get on to them, but then I come back and I tell them, and I make sure to tell them that I love them. And, yeah, that that is just a, such a tremendous impact he had on me. And, you know, so so from watching him as a little kid to realizing him as, you know, I, he's going to be my coach and then for him to just take such a special interest in me you know it's hard for me to really see a, a coach in my life who had a much greater impact and, and really not many people and so it's been cool to me to listen to like coach martin and i know coach martin you know he was on a couple of weeks ago was was a part of a lot of those teams um and, and he knew that and he was coaching those same teams that i was on with coach armstead and he was coaching the defense and man he probably saw coach armstead just dealing it to me and probably thought, yeah, this kid, if he just, you know, get, you know, bring something to the table, he, he, he'd be all right. But anyway, so I think about Coach Armstead a lot to this day. And, and, and you know, any coaches out there, uh, I think kids, no matter what your situation is, they just want to know that people love them and care about them. And so when you communicate that to them, yeah, it, it, the limits – there are no limits to what you can get out of them. If they know you truly care about them and you're just trying to get the best out of them, that, that to me is the key to coaching is figuring out what each kid's trigger points are and, and being able to communicate to them that they're loved and that they're cared about. So. Yeah, and I want to ask, so both of you guys, okay, so you guys, and, and I didn't know your answers going into to this, but I didn't, and I didn't know either one of those stories, uh, but I think it's interesting that the two guys that y'all picked are probably – two of the hardest coaches that you had throughout your whole career. Is that a fair assumption? Yeah, no yeah. doubt. Yeah. No okay. doubt. And, and, you know, as much as Garrett liked Coach Huck, I would say I would say when I was there playing offensive line at Hardy, he was a defensive line coach. Yeah. And and he had a lot of intensity. I mean, you know how it is. We compete with those guys every day in practice. And I was not as fond of him. Yeah. Not because I didn't like him as a person, but because he was coaching his guys up to beat us. Yeah. And and I'm over here ramping up to try to beat his guys. You know yeah. what I mean? So yeah. there was that natural hint. But, man, I always appreciated Coach Huck's intensity. I love that about Coach Huck. And everybody knew that about Coach Huck. So. Yeah. Well, so I think it's interesting that – and I think this is the trap that especially young coaches fall into. I know that I fell into when I first started is that you want to try to win the guys over and you want them to like you. And, and I think that that's a trap that we can fall into as coaches because, you know, you do that and then you, you, you are, you tend to be soft on them or you tend to be uh, not as, you know, just not as demanding. You overlook some things. And, and I definitely don't think that's the way to go. However, and you can, you guys can jump in and comment on this when I'm done, but, you know, I, I think that in order to grant, you said that coach Armstead knew your buttons, uh, and Garrett, uh, you know, Coach Huck called you in, and and he he knew you and knew what you you know what was going on. He knew that you would respond the right way to that conversation, and none of that would have happened if those guys hadn't built relationships with you beforehand. 
And so I guess what I what I what I want you to comment on is how did those guys foster those relationships with you beforehand so that then they did have that permission to ride you and to call you out on things? How did the, how did those guys do that? Garrett, I'll let you start first. I mean, I think, you know, to Grant's point, Coach Huck in particular, and, and but I think this probably could be said for all of the coaches who kind of fall into that bucket. I mean, I think that folks with similar mentalities kind of gravitate towards each other. And um, he knew, uh, you know, he knew that I wanted to be, you know, the best and that I was uh, competitive. And so I think that he had a good blend of, of uh, you know, challenging me, but also at the end of the practice, he would, you know, he put his arm around me and, and just, uh, you know, love up on me, as they say. And, and uh, I, I think that there was a good balance there. And I think the coaches who do that really effectively know how to, how to toe that line. And, um, you know, I think, it, but even before that, I mean, most of it starts with, you know, just having respect for somebody from a distance. I mean, Grant mentioned it about Coach Armstead and, and watching him and observing him. And I think that you you look at people with with um, in their aspects of their life and attributes that they they display, and you 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 know, right? You kind of know, especially as you get older in life, um, who you want to be associated with, who you want to be around, um, you know, and people that you want to emulate. And and if if you uh, you gravitate towards those people. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna be more open to them uh, having an impact on your life. And so I think that's what it was. Is just kind of seeing like, all right, this is a guy who takes us seriously. He's not just here to to be my friend. He's here to make me better. Um, and, and I think that was a, a, a huge contributing factor to uh, being open to him, being able to just yeah. tee off on us. Yeah, Grant, and I'm curious as I ask that question. I'm thinking. You know, Coach Armstead and, and Coach Huck, but definitely Coach Armstead, uh, those two guys are kind of like the definition of your old school coaches, you know. Right. Um, and and uh, But I think both of them, definitely Coach Huck did, and, and Coach Armstead I'm sure would have also, would have done well in this day and age with the kids that you have today because there's obviously some of the stuff that they have going on in their lives is, is different. Than, than 20 years ago or whatever, but they're still the same. They still need that that affirmation. They still need to know that, that people love them and care about them. They still need to feel accepted, and they still need to be held accountable. But did did, did Coach Armstead do a lot to, to build a relationship with you, or was it because you scared you were scared of him or you feared him that, that he was allowed to, to ride you like he did? Yeah, no, no, no. I, I don't think I was. there was like a fear like, oh, my gosh, I'm scared of him there was a fear of, I didn't want to let that guy down. Yeah. And, yeah. and to your point, you know, I spent a lot of time with coach Armstead from sixth grade all the way to, you know, he was an assistant principal and a PE coach, you know, all these things. And so, man, we had a real rapport, you yeah. know what I mean? And, yeah. and I, I had seen him on a, off the field, you know, where he would joke with me and he was always very friendly and he had a real, just uh, a warming demeanor off the football field. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. he, he had a real warm, welcoming uh, uh, you know, so yeah, certainly we had a, we had a history, we had a rapport, we had a relationship. Um, and I knew he had my back, you know what I mean? Like I knew yeah. there was no question about that. So it's not like I just walked out on the field and he starts ripping me and I have this respect for him. There was, there was a relationship built there. Um, no question about it. And, and, you know, but, but it all came back to, I didn't want to let him down. You know yeah. what I mean? I knew he cared about me. I knew he was pouring into me. I knew he saw things in me that I didn't see in myself. And so, um, 
and some of those places were just in the hallway at school, you know, just him saying hi or making a joke with me or whatever that I felt like, man, we, you know, me and him got something and, yeah. or maybe it was in study hall, you know, and I remember him picking on guys in study hall and being lighthearted. So man, we had plenty of lighthearted, you know, moments, um, which really helped me delineate between, okay, when he's getting on to me, he means it. You know what I mean? Cause yeah. he's not just getting yeah. on to me to get on to me. Like, I know when it's something funny or lighthearted, he's going to be lighthearted and funny about it. Yeah. But I know when he's serious and when he's wanting to make a point, he's legitimately trying to make a point, and I need to dial in on that. Yeah. So, um, and, you know, to your point about pushing buttons, look, man, I have three kids that are all seven and under, okay? Uh, they're born by the same mom, living in the same house, under the same conditions, and they have totally different personalities, right? Yep. Why is that? Well, that's human nature. And so what I understand about those three is that I have to approach them each a little bit differently because their personalities are different. Their buttons are different. The what they respond differently. Hey man, one or two of them respond to the spanking and that gets their attention. Maybe another one doesn't. Maybe it's how I talk, you know, all those things. And so really, man, I would just say this, and this is bigger than coaching, but, but life is a, is a people business. And that is no more true than it is in coaching. It's a people business, man. And you have got to figure out what makes people tick. And what makes this guy tick may not be what makes that guy tick. And what gets this guy's attention probably won't be what gets that other guy's attention. So yeah. Yeah. being a people person and dialed in and, and and if you'll just sit back and listen and watch people, they'll tell you everything you need to know about them yeah. indirectly. Yeah. And, and that's what I think separates really good coaches is that, man – they're dialed in and they're in tune with what guys got going on because man, a lot of these high school kids, there's a lot of things going on in their life that you may or may not know about that are, that are having an impact on their behavior or their play or whatever. So, you know, I think just being dialed in and, and having a awareness is one of the things for me that set coach Armstead apart. It's like, he knew me, right? Right. Right. He knew, and he knew, he knew the guy next to me. It wasn't just me. He knew all of us. He yeah. knew our families. He knew, what what how to motivate us he didn't yeah. motivate everybody like he motivated me but he figured out here's the big red button on grant if i make him mad he will run over there and run into the goalpost. right you know trying right. to trying to knock it over if i just let him be laid back he's going to kind of get go through the motions and try to make it through the day yeah i've learned that about myself so anyway that that's really what gave him the the, the liberty to me was just not anything on the field. Certainly the, the respect I had for him from watching from afar, but now he put the time in to developing a relationship with me. And a lot of those guys did it. I mean, coach Martin was one of those guys. That's why he's still beloved today. Everywhere yeah. he can is because he's yeah. a relationship guy. You know, that's, um, that's, I, I that's, that's such good stuff and, and such an encouragement for me as a coach. And I'm sure these guys listening, uh, and, and such a great reminder. And this, again, none of this stuff was scripted or, 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 you know, I didn't say, Hey, say this or don't say this. I mean, um, and I just think that it's interesting that the, again, that the two guys that you guys identified with and it still impact you in your adult lives today. And as you said, Grant, even have affected the way that you, uh, raise your own children were, were some of those guys who, who weren't afraid to get on you, who were, who were extremely demanding, held you accountable, but also did a great job of building a relationship with you. And I, and it does, it takes knowing a person to know what those buttons are. And, you know, you can't, you definitely can't have a one size fits all approach to coaching 
because you know some kids you make them mad and they 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 you know go into a shell and they they just they they completely lose it and so you kind of have to you, you you do you have to um you know the 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 coaching axiom is you know you treat every player the uh, you treat everyone fairly not everyone the same and and meaning you know uh, I may over here have, have have Grant that I can ride on and 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 really push his buttons and then I have another kid who I have to you know, just be a little more careful, a little more considerate of, you know, that, that he doesn't respond to that kind of stuff. And that will do it for part one of my conversation with Grant and Garrett. Really enjoyed our talk and, and hope that, that you did too and, and hope you got something out of our conversation today. Hey, be sure to follow uh, those guys on Twitter. It would really help their Twitter clout to have some football coaches following them. So you can find Grant at Grant GT Taylor. And Garrett at GarrettTaylor78. Also, while you're at it, follow our show on Twitter at KYPD Podcast. And be sure to tune in on Thursday for part two of our conversation where we get into the lessons that Grant and Garrett learned while playing football and how they use those lessons today as adults with their families and in their careers. We also have some fun at the end. And one of my brothers, I won't tell you who now, but one of them claims that he could still strap on the pads and play today. So, You'll definitely want to tune back in on Thursday and hear the second part of our conversation. Our quote of the day provided by my younger brother Garrett is this, as long as you're green, you're growing. As soon as you're ripe, you start to rot. And I think that's exactly what all of us coaches are trying to do right now with all this extra time on our hands. And and so uh, there you go, guys. Stay green and keep growing. And that will do it for this first half of episode 52. Thank you for checking us out. We will see you back here on Thursday for part two. Until then, I'm going to toss it over to my little brother, Garrett. Let him have the final word for our episode today. What you got for us, Garrett? Keep your pads down.